August 7th, 2010. You're listening to Kevin's Oblast Radio. With your host, Kevin Baird. So what's going on? I uh, got a lot of positive feedback about the recent Oblast I did on uh, cipher stations, um, number stations. A lot of people wrote in and told me that it was creepy and cool and everything and, uh, you know, really enjoyed it. So I thought, well, that's pretty cool, you know. Um, uh, I try to think of a good way to follow that episode up. Um, I did sort of think that the medium of playing some audio that I found out, found out on the net um, was pretty cool. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, though, is that trying to find audio on the Internet of um, interesting audio isn't always exactly easy because... The um, you know the music uh, downloading history of the internet you know has made copyright of audio recordings um, like holding a you know a, a bomb or something on your website. So a lot of places just don't want to have any sort of audio recordings. What's interesting though is that you can usually find um, most interesting audio on YouTube. Um, because people just take an audio recording and match it to a video or a picture of some sort and make a video out of it. But, you know, that's not really a, a wealth of audio entertainment, and it's not exactly easy to find things there that are categorized. But what I did do is I decided to try and follow up that show with a um, one more like it, where I was going to just play some various recordings that I found out about and talk about some of them. And uh, not really take this show into a strange, um, you know, the usual Kevin Baird rantings on on stuff for for this particular broadcast. Those rantings will come back in the future. But um, for this broadcast, I thought I would just do a little thing on some audio snippets that are out there. Uh, Also, um, we have a new Oblast app on the um, iStore, or whatever they call it, the App Store, for the iOS devices, iPhone, iPod Touch, iPad. Uh, if you just do a search in the marketplace for Oblast, you'll find Kevin's Oblast radio app. It's um, part of the podcasting service that I pay for, and uh, they built this app. The app itself is $2. Now, I wasn't able to, since they designed it, I wasn't able to give it out for free, free, or I would have, because I like to think that, you know, getting it out there for free would make it easier for people to find the show and listen. But uh, I had to either choose to make it advertising funded or give it a one-time charge. And I, the smallest charge I could give was $2. And I get, like, a cut of that. Uh, you know, Apple gets a cut, of course. And so I think I get, like, $0.50 cents for every $2 that's spent. And that $0.50 cents will just go towards the $20 monthly fee that it costs to host the show. So... It probably won't much matter at all, I guess is what I'm saying, because not that many people will probably turn out to buy it. However, it is a fairly cool app because you do get to listen to the Oblasts streaming without having to download them to your uh, your iPhone or other device. And it has the whole list there, so you can listen to them at any point. It does now background multitask, so you can listen to them while you're doing other things on your device and there's some graphics there that Brandon put together that look really nice there's also a wallpaper that you can use and uh, I'm able to add more things to it and I think that the company that's producing the app will probably continue to develop it and make it more interesting so you know 
pretty cool for for what it is for two bucks. So you know, if you get um, a chance, you know, you want to check it out, uh, go ahead. You know, it's like I said, just do a search for for two bucks and you know, help out the show, man. Take a listen. You get that little you get that little Oblast icon on your device. That alone's kind of cool. You're like, what is that? And then be like, that's my Oblast icon. Uh, so anyway, whatever. Uh, it's out there if you want to check it out. Okay, and uh, I'm sorry I haven't done a lot of these shows recently. I, as everybody knows, I did get picked up to help Corey on Spill doing a gaming show there, and I've also started to do a call-in talk show during the week for video game news, so I haven't had a lot of time to do the Oblasts, but we do have a plan to have that Australian guy who finally contacted me, yay, on a future Oblast, and we're going to be talking about World War II, as well as probably life in Australia and all that good stuff. So that will be coming up. I'm going to schedule it with him, and we're going to do that one. And I, I do know that there's been a few other people out there that wanted to do an Oblast show as well, you know, and the, the interview style. So, you know, we'll probably have some more of those, and, you know, as well as there'll be some mixed in ones with my technical ravings and all that sort of stuff that goes on. But I haven't really delved too much in all that because summer's come and you know when summer's here I don't really spend a lot of time buried in the computer I'm doing other things as much as possible but you know as soon as fall rolls around uh, which around here is basically instantly winter uh, then I'll be back to all the the geek stuff that I do so alright let's get to the show so there are some interesting recordings uh, here and um, one of them Okay, sorry. I found this one on the internet, and I thought this one was just kind of funny. It actually comes from the Art Bell show, and uh, it's called The Sounds of Hell. And uh, basically, the, the background is that a group of Russian scientists were digging in Siberia, and uh, when their drill started to spin wildly. So they lowered a microphone into the hole, into the ground, and uh, these are the sounds that they heard. So, you know, here you go. Now I've got a clean copy of it now, and uh, I warn you, uh, this could scare you. Here's the email. Dear Art Bell, I just recently began listening to your radio show and could not believe it when you talked about the sounds from hell tonight. My uncle had told me this story a couple of years ago, and I didn't believe him. Like one of your listeners who discounted the story as nothing more than just a religious newspaper fabricated account. The story about the digging of the hole and the hearing of the sounds from hell is very real. It did occur in Siberia. My uncle collected videos and audio tapes and so forth on the paranormal, supernatural. He passed away fairly recently, but he would have loved your show. He let me listen to one of the audio tapes that he had on the sounds from hell in Siberia, and I copied it. You received his copy from a friend who worked at the BBC. It took me a while to find it tonight, but attached is that sound from my uncle's tapes. It's not the greatest quality, but the sounds are there. I was very hesitant to send you this, as the sound bothers me to listen to. I'd suggest that if you do play it on the program, warn listeners in advance so they may have the option 
of turning the radio off for 30 seconds while it plays. It has always haunted me. To those who discounted the Siberia sounds from Hell's story, it is true, and I, for one, wish it wasn't. Rick, listening from Chicago. And so I submit now the cleaned, uh, a better copy to you, and uh, I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. So that was ridiculous. I'm not sure what that was all about. Um, but following that up, <laughs> this is like some woman screaming. Um, this here is the uh, a Russian exorcism that's going on. So here you go. Knows if I was there for that, I would uh, I would have left. You know, I wouldn't have been sitting there with the tape recorder. If I heard those kind of noises coming out of anybody for anything, I'd just be like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm getting in my car. I'm leaving. You know, they could be pulling a thorn out of somebody or something. You know, I'd be like, you're making those noises. I'm done. I'm getting in the car. I'm out. Good lord. All right. So um, so this one's fairly interesting. This next one um, and not as creepy. Uh, basically, there was a. Um, uh, a guy, a, uh, a Frenchman, who his name was, uh, uh, I can't pronounce his freaking name, Ed, Edouard Leon Scott de Martinville. So we'll call him Martinville. And um, 
he uh, invented what they call the, um, the, 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 the Fawn autograph, which was a way to basically just take sound and put it on a visible medium, sort of like vibrating a pencil. And uh, that would, he would use that to just sort of scientifically look at uh, the, the, the waves of sound that he could see uh, and, and, you know, and, and sort of track the, 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 the way they worked. And um, there was no phonograph back then. There was no record player. This was uh, 1860. And the, uh, he, you know, he had no way to play back what he was recording. So he just used it as a way to, uh, you know, just look at the, 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 motion, uh, the motion of the wave, sort of like moving a needle across, you know, which eventually became the record. But this was just a way of sort of, they say, you know, if you had a pencil on a, on a thin wire and you, you, you sang towards it, it um, you know, the, the, the pencil would vibrate on a piece of paper. Well, along comes the future, and uh, his recording was on a piece of paper, and uh, it, it was a re- he had a woman, well, probably his wife, uh, singing um, a French song called Au Claire de la Lune. And because of computers, they were able to uh, take the sound graph that he had made on a piece of paper, and now a 150 years later, were able to uh, make it playable. And uh, it's, it's pretty rough, but it is kind of interesting that they were able just to take this piece of paper and uh, produce the song you know out of it that was sung and so here it is So that was actually recorded by the smoke of a gas lamp uh, that he would put on this um, uh, piece, this this medium. And uh, at the time, uh, France was uh, governed by governed by uh, Napoleon the Third. And uh, so, you know, Charles Dickens had uh, written Great Expectations. It is very long, long time ago, if you think about it. So I thought that was pretty cool. I just thought you know you want to check it out. All right, this next one uh, comes from listverse.com, and um, it reads, During the late 1950s and early 1960s, the space race between the United States and the Soviet Union was hot. People around the world watched and listened. Some, most notably amateur radio operators, listened more closely than others, and of these, a pair of young brothers from Italy, uh, Achille and Giovanni, Giudica Cordelia, reigned supreme. The brothers used homemade equipment to listen in on the Soviet launches. They recorded the heartbeat of the dog Leica, who was launched in the one-way Sputnik 2 voyage. But then, in 1961, they recorded something eerie. It was the sound of a woman who appeared to be a woman who may have been involved in testing 
of the ability for humans to cope with space. The audio, which is in Russian, uh, says um, the following. I'm going to translate it for you here, and then you're going to get to hear it. Five, four, three, two, one, one, two, three, four, five. Come in, come in, come in. Listen, listen, come in, come in, come in. Talk to me, talk to me. I am hot, I am hot. What? 45, what? 45, 50. Yes, yes, yes. Breathing, breathing, oxygen, oxygen. I am hot. Isn't this dangerous? It's all, isn't this dangerous? It's all, yes, yes, yes. How is this? What? Talk to me. How should I transmit? Yes, yes, yes. What? Our transmission begins now. 41 this way. Our transmission begins now. 41 this way. Our transmission begins now. 41. Yes, I feel hot. I feel hot. It's all, it's hot. I feel hot. I feel hot. I feel hot. I can see a flame. What? I can see a flame. I can see a flame. I feel hot. I feel hot. 32, 32, 41, 41. Am I going to crash? Yes, yes. I feel hot. I feel hot. I will re-enter. I will re-enter. I am listening. I feel hot. And then the and then the communication goes dead. Oh, my God. 
So according to LostCosmonauts.com, uh, three days later, after this broadcast, on May 26, 1961, TASS, the Soviet press agency, announced the return to Earth on the 23rd of a large, unmanned satellite, which burned upon re-entering the atmosphere. The satellite was the size of a city bus. Its launch had not been previously disclosed, and its purpose was unknown. Alright, so this next one, which doesn't sound like much of anything if you ask me, but apparently freaks a lot of people out. It's called the bloop, and the bloop was a sound that was repeatedly recorded during the summer of 1997 on the Equatorial Pacific Ocean Autonomous Hydrophone Array. The sound rises in frequency over about one minute and was of sufficient amplitude to be heard on multiple sensors at a range of over 5,000 kilometers. It yields a general location near 50 degrees south to 100 degrees west. The origin of the sound is unknown. Uh, and that comes from the government. That comes from the NOAA.gov website, actually. Um, and I'll tell you what, it, uh, it's not that interesting. But um, I'm going to play it for you right now. And uh, one thing to note about this, though, is that this is what it sounds like sped up by 16 times. And basically, it's going to sound like a blue. Did you get that? It was pretty, un pretty, uh, pretty not so exciting. But here it is again. So it sounds like somebody like dropped a log in the toilet. However, it was you know so loud that you know they could hear it three thousand miles apart, and that sped up sixteen times. Now I can slow it down to eight times. That's about the best I can do right now. Uh, so here it is slowed down. Uh, the general theory is is that it comes from an animal of some sort, uh, you know, and on the website where I found this information, uh, they said that uh, probably Cthulhu. So, uh, you know, makes sense to me. But uh, anyway, I'm not really that freaked out about it, but some people think it's really disturbing, so, you know, hey, why not put it on the podcast? That's what I did. All right, so... This next one is not anything weird or unexplained or anything, but uh, I thought it was uh, a fairly cool... Um, historical recording it is uh in, in world war ii in case you don't know i'll just tell you in world war ii uh the germans would uh you know there was the battle of britain where the air force of the of uh, nazi germany uh would attack uh, the british air force and the plan was at the time that uh, if they could kill enough of their pilots and um you know, destroy their air force. That eventually they could uh, organize a uh, attack on um, the mainland. Uh, but uh, the 
Germans, you know, basically lost the Battle of Britain. The uh, the British were able to uh, defeat them, uh, you know, I don't want to say easily, um, you know, but uh, uh, basically the British defeated the, the Germans because, you know, they were just better pilots, they they uh, reacted better, they had um, uh, advantages, in, you know, that they were on their own territory, and uh, the, you know, uh, those guys basically night and day got up there and, and flew those planes and you know the um, the air force of the Germans had been dismantled and then rebuilt and their pilots weren't that experienced and uh, their fighter aircraft wasn't uh, the best so you know the the, the British uh, won the Battle of Britain and defeated them so uh, at that point the the Nazis decided to go into a you know a, a, a containment strategy on England you know Historically, you could look at this as being right or wrong, but you know they they basically couldn't invade. So uh, Hitler thought, well, you know, if he punished them enough, they would submit. You know, they would basically give up uh, fighting against Germany because in reality, Hitler didn't really want to invade Britain. He didn't want to control Britain. I mean, maybe you know part of him wanted to control the entire world, but he saw the British as fellow Aryans, and he thought that they were people that, you know, he wasn't really interested in them, he didn't really want to dominate them, he, you know, he, they were their own thing, and uh, he just didn't want them getting in his way. So, you know, it, it wasn't really a high priority, you know, for him to get over there and take over England in the first place, you know, it just wasn't something he was after. So, what he did was he set up his submarine fleets, the U-boats, to basically go and sink all of the shipping that was going in and out, which was very successful, especially, you know, in the early parts of the war and um, almost starved out England uh, because of the, um, the way they were completely destroying all of their, uh, their shipping going in and out. And then uh, as the war progressed and things, you know, uh, con you know continued not to go so well, uh, they started to use uh, buzz bombs. And uh, the first rocket that they had was called the V-1. And um, instead of having a, it was sort of like a hybrid jet engine uh, on a, on a, on a missile with wings, and um, it, it sort of, you know, the way this engine sort of worked is that it would do like a pulse of uh, power, you know, it would, um, it, 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 you know, just pulse the, the engine, bzz, 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 and so it was basically called a buzz bomb or a buzzer, um, and uh, it would fly over, you know, they would just sort of aim it, and it would fly over um, uh, the... Um, I don't know if it was the English Channel, or I don't know if they fired these from Germany or from France. I, you know, I don't know. Um, but they, they would, you know, fire them over there. And the people, you know, would have to get into the air raid shelters, and these things would happen all the time. Now, later on, they, uh, the Germans had the V-2 rocket, which was, you know, it was a real rocket. You know, it was pretty big, and they would, you know, had gyroscopes and those things, and they would fire them. The, the, they were a little bit harder to uh, shoot down because they were so large, uh, where these original v1 rockets these buzz bombs would um they would uh, get uh, shot down because they were kind of like a slow moving airplane but not not that slow because they would use these little um engines but you know you could hear them coming and everything so they would uh, they would shoot them and anyway there's a recording here of uh, one of them that was uh, you know landing in you know flying over or whatever in england and you know this thing's like a huge bomb flying over somebody's house and you know they're probably getting into a, a shelter but they decided to record it as it was flying over and uh, you could only, almost imagine uh, what it would be like to be sitting 
or hiding in your house hearing this thing flying by. So uh, here it is. I know you wanted an explosion to follow up with that, but I didn't have one for you. I apologize. All right, so the government operates a facility in Alaska that's well known. It's and um, it's called HARP, H A A R P, and uh, HARP is a large uh, antenna array uh, that exists um, to supposedly, uh, according to um, the operation that's there study the ionosphere and uh, they run a bunch of experiments up there in order to do this but um, the problem with harp well not even a problem but uh, you know it's one of those things that people uh, suspect that the government is actually working on weather control and harp is often pinpointed in the things to have caused earthquakes uh, storms and all sorts of other things that the government is really working on uh, by um, doing things to the ionosphere in order to um, make things happen to the weather. Uh, you know, and a lot of other foreign countries actually believe that this is the case. Uh, HARP probably does not do any of that. I will say that because uh, the amount of power necessary to, say, influence the ionosphere um, is beyond the reach of, you know, anything we could do here on Earth. The sun, for instance, is a giant reactor that blasts us with, you know, immense amount of radiation and um, is not really able to penetrate it very often. Uh, our ionosphere, you know, except for like the Aurora Borealis type area where HARP is located, um, but also, you know, it, you know, this the sun does influence weather, of course, but it doesn't, you know. Um, do do it you know in a in a sort of constructive way you know it, it's kind of random because it's the sun um harp is a lot smaller and i don't see how it could impact weather patterns but then again what do i know anyway uh this is a recording of the harp station and i just thought it was somewhat interesting and i thought i would play it for you eerie sound that comes out the radio guess you got to live near it though if you really want to pick that sucker up uh, all right so uh, the last two i have are uh one is going to be disturbing and then this one is not this one well 
I don't think it is, but uh, this one is basically a uh, nuclear war civil defense information pack. It's about five, almost six minutes long, and uh, it's sort of funny in a way uh, how people dealt with and thought about um, how to handle a nuclear attack at the time, uh, which this would have probably been, say, um, 19, early 1970s even, um, so later on than some of the 60s and 50s videos, um, and still people didn't really have a good grasp of uh, everything that was happening. So um, anyway, I thought it was kind of interesting. I'll take you through a little bit of history here, and so here it is. A warning may come quite unexpectedly. We will now tell you what to do if a warning sounds when you are at home. And then we will explain what to do if you are out of doors. First, if you are at home. If attack is imminent, you will hear the attack sound like this. So take cover at once. Send your young children to the fallout room, then go quickly and turn off the gas and the electricity at the mains. Close down stoves. Damp down fires. Shut windows. And draw curtains. Then go to your fallout room and stay there. If the fallout warning sounds are heard, they will be like these. You should now move yourself and your family to the safest area in your fallout room. That is, you should get inside your inner refuge and stay there. After two days, the danger from fallout will get less, but don't take any risks by contact with it. The longer you stay in your refuge, the better it will be for you. Listen to your radio. Stay where you are and keep listening to your radio. Now, this is what you should do if you are out of doors when the warning sounds. Take cover at once when you hear the attack sound. If you cannot reach home in 10 minutes, Take cover in the nearest building. If there is no building nearby, try to find some solid cover. If there is no solid cover, lie flat in a ditch or a hole and cover your head, face and hands as fast as you can with some of your clothes. If you hear the fallout warning, seek the nearest and best cover as quickly as you can. 
But before entering the building or cover, brush or shake off any fallout dust you may have picked up and get rid of it. Change your outer clothing if you can. Stay under cover. When the all-clear sounds, like this, it means that you are safe from attack or fallout for the time being, and that you can go out again. But keep listening for further warnings, or to your radio for further advice. After an attack is over and the all-clear has been sounded, arrangements will be made as soon as possible to treat any people who are ill or injured. Listen to your radio. Details will be given about what to do, when to do it, and how. If anyone dies while you are kept in your fallout room, move the body to another room in the house. Label the body with name and address, and cover it as tightly as possible in polythene, paper, sheets, or blankets. Tie a second card to the covering. The radio will advise you what to do about taking the body away for burial. If, however, you have had a body in the house for more than five days, and if it is safe to go outside, then you should bury the body for the time being in a trench or cover it with earth and mark the spot of the burial. So these kind of uh uh, PSAs were actually around when I was a kid, and uh, they um, weren't uh, super frequent. Uh, and uh, most of the time, you know, when we discussed them in school and things like that, um, would uh, you know, we would just talk about um, going to what you know was termed a fallout shelter. And uh, it wasn't like even anywhere. You know, uh, teachers basically talked about tornado drills and fire drills and uh, the nuclear war drill. In my school, it didn't happen, uh, but uh, we all were told what a um, a fallout shelter is for and uh, basically if you don't know uh when a nuclear blast happens it creates that big mushroom cloud well that big mushroom cloud is um created um from all of the fire and the burning that's on the ground and it uh pushes up all of the debris into the atmosphere and that goes basically into the radioactive cloud that's generated from the explosion and uh, it goes up and in, in, in starts raining down on places, you know, for hundreds of miles from where the nuclear blast happened. And the radiation, of course, will kill you. And uh, one of the reasons they don't know too much about uh, radiation in general uh, back in the day is that radiation is one of these things that's everywhere. It's, you know, if you go outside, you're getting hit by radiation and slow in, in small doses if you pick up a piece of granite you're going to get uh, or if you're near like you know heavy stone you're going to get even more radiation exposure um concrete for instance has a lot more radiation than say grass does um and and things like that so um there's basically different kinds and your body is able to absorb a certain amount of radiation because you know you're a you're a child of the sun 
and the sun is a giant radioactive ball of fire, and, uh, you know, it's blasting us with radiation all the time, and uh, radio waves and things like that um, are radiation that, you know, travels through us and goes, you know, over us and things, and your body actually can absorb a lot of this, um, but if it absorbs too much, uh, then you die, and, um, I thought I would talk a little bit about the different types of radiation because not everybody always knows this. And uh, why, why not? I got five minutes, so I'm going to blow it on here. Uh, basically, your alpha radiation, um, because there's 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 basically four different kinds. Your alpha radiation is the is um, uh, probably one of the more deadly. It is a heavy, uh, very short range particle. Uh, it, which I should also point out what radiation is. Um, radiation is not um, a radio wave. It is not just a wave. It is actually a particle. Um, if you have a, a piece of fissionable material, a, a, like an element that is fissionable, let's say like um, uranium-239 or plutonium or something, um, the elements are unstable. And um, basically the unstable element is made up of all of these, you know, I'm not exactly sure, but it's like neutrons and protons and electrons and things. And uh, they're all moving around. And the reason they're all moving around is because the element isn't, um, it's, not, it's not solid. It's not stable like um, your, your standard carbon atom. And uh, your, car, you know, whatever, your, 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 your desk, okay? And so um, what happens, though, is that uh, it starts to um, fire off at very high rates of speed uh, the uh, protons or electrons or one of them, um, it, it, depending, you know, it, it's basically what it's made out of. You know, there's elements in the periodic table and stuff. Maybe it's helium or something. It's 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 firing off. It's probably a better way to explain it. And uh, it shoots this off very quickly. You can't see it. It's tiny. You know, it's microscopic. And um, and when you have a whole lot of them, you know, all together, they're all shooting off like you know thousands and hundreds of thousands, millions of these little particles that you can't see. And if you're close enough to them, uh, depending on what their range is, they will uh, they hit your body, and um, you know it's like a bullet uh, smashing into your body. It will damage your cells and things like that. Now you don't feel it. Um, you know, at the most, you might feel something warm, but uh, it's it's coursing through. You know, it shoots through you because they're so tiny, and then they bang into something, and they'll tear your cell walls open, and they'll um, uh, sink into your bones and 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 and, and rot you out. So, uh, and depending on how volatile of the radiation that there is, uh, you know, the quicker you will die from it. And, it, you know, your body can be exposed to a certain amount of radiation, but not very much. And, you know, that's why radiation bad. Uh, so, however, uh, depending on the type of radiation that there is, the, you know, some are very, like this alpha radiation is a large particle. So it can't penetrate um, clothing or skin uh, because, you know, your cells are too tightly bound together. They'll, so it might damage your skin and burn your skin, but it won't um, get, like, say, into your bones and things like that. Where some of the other ones are tinier particles and can do a lot more damage. And then there's actually ones that are so small they travel right through you, which often happens with some of the radiation that comes from the sun. So uh, alpha radiation... Um, heavy short-range particle and uh, is ejected from a helium nucleus. So I was just talking about helium, so there you go. Uh, some characteristics of the alpha radiation are most alpha radiation is not able to penetrate human skin. 
Alpha-emitting materials can be harmful to humans if the materials are inhaled, swallowed, or absorbed through open wounds. A variety of instruments have been designed to measure alpha radiation. Special training in the use of these instruments is essential for making accurate measurements. Um, there's some other stuff on here. Alpha radiation travels only a short distance, a few inches in the air, but is not an external hazard. Alpha radiation is not able to penetrate clothing. Examples of some alpha emitters is radium, radon, uranium, and thorium. So that's why uh, usually they can put those into containers, and then they're not so dangerous. Uh, you know, you can put them in like a, say, um, a lead-lined uh, container of some sort, and it won't be able to penetrate any of that at all, and uh, generally safe. And if you're not that far, you know, if you're not that close to it, uh, basically generally safe to be around it. Um, uranium, particularly, um, you know, is an, el an element that is mined, and uh, people would often, you know, before they really understood radiation, would hold it in their hands and things like that. And, uh, you know, if you had an open wound, you might get sick. Beta, beta radiation, beta, is a light, short-range particle and is actually an ejected electron. Some characteristics of beta radiation are beta radiation may travel several feet in the air and is moderately penetrating. Beta radiation can penetrate human skin to the germinal layer, where new skin cells are produced. If high levels of beta-emitting contaminants are allowed to remain on the skin for a prolonged period of time, they may cause skin injury. Beta-emitting contaminants may be harmful if deposited internally. Most beta-emitters can be detected with a survey instrument, blah, blah, blah. Uh, clothing provides some protection against beta radiation. Examples of some pure beta-emitters is strontium-90, favorite of the Soviets, um, strontium-90, carbon-14, tritium, and sulfur-35. Okay, and then you have the gamma and X radiation, which are the last two. Uh, gamma radiation and X-rays are highly penetrating, as we all know, since we can see through the human body with the X-rays. Electromagnetic radiation. Some characteristics of these radiations are gamma radiation or X-rays are able to travel many feet in air and, may, and many inches in human tissue. They readily penetrate most materials and are sometimes called penetrating radiation. X-rays are like gamma rays. X-rays, too, are penetrating radiation. Sealed radioactive sources and machines that emit gamma radiation and X-rays, respectively, constitute mainly an external hazard to humans. Gamma radiation and X-rays are electromagnetic radiation like visible light, radio waves, and ultraviolet light. These electromagnetic radiations differ only in the amount of energy they have. Gamma rays and X-rays are the most energetic of these. Dense materials are needed for shielding from gamma radiation. Clothing provides little shielding from penetrating radiation, but will prevent contamination of the skin by gamma-emitting radioactive materials. Gamma radiation is easily detected. Gamma radiation x-rays frequently accompany the emission of alpha and beta radiation during radioactive decay. Examples of some gamma emitters, iodine-131, cesium-137, cobalt-60, radium-226, and technetium-99M. So one of the bigger problems with radiation uh, fallout is, uh, you know, even if you get away uh, from it, um, iodine-131 um, and cesium are uh, often mistaken by the human body that they are uh, healthy uh, and um, will actually take them and bond them to your um, pituitary gland, which then gives you cancer and you die later in life. Uh, um, so a lot of times what will happen uh, during, well, 
not that we've had nuclear attack, but when they were preparing for this, is people were to have iodine tablets, uh, and uh, because you would have enough iodine in your system, that uh, your body would not um, use the uh, the masqueraded iodine, the radioactive iodine, uh, and put it next to your pituitary gland because you would be already loaded up on iodine from the tablets, and therefore it would pass out of your system. Uh, you know, a lot of people live in the area of Chernobyl today, and uh, they haven't really developed too many problems uh, medically from radiation. Radiation in and of itself is, um, uh, you know, problematic in that it lasts a very long time, but, you know, um, if your goal is to live till 50, you'll probably survive that long unless you're, like, you know, being irradiated uh, from uh, radiation for a long period of time, which, again, will just destroy your cells regardless of what type it is and, and beat you down enough that it'll kill you. So fallout, uh, fairly dangerous from a nuclear attack. Um, but, you know, again, look at Japan, for instance. Look at, um, you know, they got nuked on two islands, and people live in those islands today. Radiation isn't exactly something that hangs around. You clean it up and, you know, uh, you move on. But, of course, with a greater nuclear attack, with 100 megaton nuclear bombs, there probably wouldn't be a lot left to um to do all the cleanup but um yeah radiation dangerous but not in and of itself you know you're probably far more likely to die from a spoiled onion at chichis than you are from uh getting any kind of radiation damage unless you lived in the Chernobyl area okay so lastly uh this is the and uh, you know it's completely cool if you tune out for this one or shut this off at this point because um, this might be disturbing for some people uh, I thought I would just include it because it was on this website where I got a lot of this stuff from and uh, it was um, the number one um, eerie recording and so I figured I would include it uh, also just for reference you know because it really happened it was a historical event it is the 911 call from the World Trade Center and so um, you know somewhat disturbing and uh, you know basically um, sad and saddening, but uh, I'm going to play that. I'm going to leave it here, and then I'm going to end the show. So um, that's it. If you'd like to write into the show, it's k b a i r d at vgn us. And uh, the next week will be a lot more lighthearted, and it will be about um, hopefully with a gentleman from Australia, where we talk about uh, World War II and the Australian um, military during that time, as well as living in Australia in general. And uh, then we'll follow up with some. Uh, usual Oblast shows. Thanks for listening. As always, you can find out all the information about this show, videogamenews.com. Uh, first post on the front page. If you click on that, it'll tell you how to get Kevin's Oblast Radio, as well as all the shows we do, and how to contact me and everyone else. Okay. Thanks for listening. All right, I got to turn my microphone on if I'm going to talk. The uh, Kevin Cosgrove call is what I'm going to play for you. He was um, inside the World Trade Center just before it collapsed. There's a number of these on uh, YouTube. There's also one from a woman who calls, uh, you know, because it's very hot. Um, uh, you know, you can find all these if you if you are interested in hearing all of them. Again, I'm just playing this one uh, because uh, it's, uh, again, listed as number one on this website that I was at. And, uh, you know, f for the curious, uh, it's a good uh, archive of history, just like some of the rest of this stuff. So uh, here you go. Yeah, I have a notification to make. Yes, sir. Can I, uh, what's the telephone number? I'm waiting for our FC to pick up. 